Thanks so much for having me today. I'm super excited to be talking with you and unpacking this scripture. This scripture is one of my favorite ones to talk from. And if you're watching live at home, thanks for having me in your house. I love the decoration. love what you've done with the place. And uh, <laughs> next month marks three years that I moved from living in California to move here to London. It was a hot day. My parents are here. It was a hot day, wasn't it, when we moved? Bless them. Legends. Man the myth, the legend, Tony Hodges. And we've got the gracious lady, Vivian. My little support network <laughs> coming here this morning. And we moved in. It was a hot day. And I started to quite miss my friends. And I made some great friends when I was out there. And one of my mates was a bit of a mentor but became quite a close friend. So in October, when I just moved, she flew out. And I was like, how about we do some shopping in London and you can fill me up spiritually and hang out together. So she came out. And at one of the days, my mum and dad also came down to London. And they said, we're in Shoreditch. We're going to go for some, some Thai food. I love me some Thai food. So Hannah, my parents, and then my parents' friends and their kids joined. So it was a bit, a bit of a big group, which I'm sure we can all kind of relate to or remember. And Hannah said, oh, my friend Tom, he's not really got too many mates in London, and he's down. Can we hang out with him as well? So doing the Christian thing, I thought, if we have to. And so Tom joined us, and um, he was a bit of a quirky old soul. And I was like, I quite like this person, but don't really know, but want to give him a day where he can just be refreshed, where he doesn't know anyone in the town, so... I just want to refresh him, and we went to this, this beautiful restaurant out in East London and hung out and got to know one another, got to know my parents' friends, got to know Tom, and by the end of the meal, the waiter came over to my dad and, uh, to say thank you for the meal, and dad got his wallet out, thankfully, because I was like, bro, this meal is not on me, and uh, dad got his wallet out, and the, the waiter said, actually, no, no, don't worry, I was just saying thank you, the, the meal's actually been paid for, and I look up. And the waiter said, yeah, it's that, that tall guy that's just gone to the bathroom. And I'm like, Tom, we were giving him the refreshment today. Like, he's not supposed to be serving us. We were serving him. Anyway, we said thank you. And we left the parents and went out shopping. And, you know, my friend Hannah, she's American. So we're like, Harrods. So we go to Harrods and show her around of all the things we could dream of having. And at the end of the day, Tom said, Anna, um, it's been really nice to meet you. I'd love to just bless you. And here's some money. And he gave me some money to get a haircut. And I was like, how did he know? I actually really wanted a haircut. Also, it wasn't COVID times. So maybe I had a pre-COVID cut. And he was like, we need to sort this out, babes. Anyway, and then he turned to Hannah and he said, here's some money. I'd love to get you some perfume, which is crazy because she'd actually ran out the day before. And we didn't tell him this stuff. Maybe she stank. I don't know. Or maybe he, he heard from God. Either way, we were above and beyond abundantly blessed. Like, I didn't know the guy, but I received it. But I didn't know him, and I thought, that's crazy. Like, the narrative of that meeting, I was supposed to serve him. I wanted to give him a day of blessing, and the narrative shifted. And we've got a story here really similar. We've got a story where the narrative kind of shifts from this woman and Jesus to her serving him. And I'm going to pick it up from um, where it says... I love language, and I find sentences in the Bible really interesting. Um, so I'm going to pick it up from, it was about noon. I'm like, why is that in there? Noon is the brightest part of the day. It's the warmest part of the day. It, it wasn't a meeting that Jesus wanted to do in the dark. It's kind of like Jesus was saying, I want you to see what's about to happen here. It was about noon. The sun is at its brightest. And I just want to set the scene a bit, because this is a Samaritan girl, and this is Jesus and guys and girls at that point didn't mix. And Jesus was a religious teacher. And so he's definitely not going to mix with this kind of girl because of all the sin in her life and the stuff that was going down. And on top of that, she was a Samaritan. And Jews and Samaritans did not mix. But it was kind of like Jesus was saying, I'm going to take a seat next to you. 
all of society is saying, that's weird, but I'm going to do it. I'm not offended by it. I'm not offended by where you've come from. I'm not offended by your gender. I'm not offended by what you believe, but I'm just going to sit with you. No one else is sitting there. And that's the nature of Jesus. He was intentional with her. He wanted to hang out with her. And he says, will you give me a drink? Sometimes, I don't know if you ever read the Bible where, in like how people would communicate today, but if Martin sat up next to me now and he was like, would you give me a drink? I'd be like, where are your manners, Martin? Can you say please? Will you give me a drink? And this question is what initiated the conversation. And it's a question that initiated her life being changed because she was sat at the well and she was thirsty and she was hot. And it's kind of like Jesus is asking a question she can relate to. He's like, I'm thirsty too. He gives her a question that she understands and he meets her quite literally where she's at. And she responds in verse 9, and she's like, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. You're asking me for a drink. It's kind of like saying Jews and Samaritans don't mix. Another translation says they don't share the same dishes. We don't break bread together. And in fact, Samaritans were kind of this religious half-breed of society, and Jesus wants to share a drink with her. It's almost offensive. And before we get into the culturally inappropriate thing, I just want to take a moment to think about what that would have been like. Like now, in this day, it would have been all over Instagram. There would have been a campaign about it. People would have been out on the streets. Everyone would have heard about it. But Jesus didn't care. And this is where we see him cross every line to get to a Religious line, crossed. Racial line, crossed. Gender line, crossed. Social stature line, crossed. He crosses every line, every barrier, just so she could encounter love. And Jesus' love it's so redeeming. He's not offended by the stuff she's done. He wants to meet her there. He's not offended by her gender or worried about her race. He just extends the invitation to connect. In verse 10, he's like, well, actually, I'm asking you for a drink, but if you knew the gift that was in front of you, you'd be asking me. And I love this. I love where the narrative is. Kind of, Jesus is so clever in his communication. He doesn't just approach her, but he slowly draws her out and he starts to shift her. And he says, if you knew... All, if, if you knew that what I had, you'd be asking me. And it's kind of like saying, I get it. You're here, you're thirsty. I am too, and I'm here to give you something. And the meeting shifts from her serving him water to him saying, actually, I've got a better need. I've got something else to offer you, and it's way better than water. It's almost like going to a restaurant thinking that you're going to serve someone, and then the person that you're with actually ends up blessing you abundantly. He's like, if you knew who you were speaking to, you'd be saying, Jesus, can you refresh me? Jesus, can you fill my need? Jesus, can you help me? Jesus, can you turn my shame into something worthy? He's like, if you only you knew who was in front of you. And this woman responds. And uh, I, love, I love how sassy this lady is. She's almost sarcastic in her conversation with him. She's like, so you're saying you can do better than this well. You're saying that you've got a solution, but I've been at this well the whole time. This well is actually what's been filling my need. Can anyone relate to this response? In church, when when we think, you know, we're doing all the church stuff and we go through the motions and, uh, and we hear of a story of healing and it's like, okay, that's cool for you, but are you saying you've got something for me? Because I know I have a need and I know what's been satisfying it and it's not necessarily been Jesus. But he unravels her and he breaks down the barriers and the contexts. And it's like she's saying, okay, you've got a solution for what you're saying, but this well has served me just fine. My history with this well is that when I need a drink, it's always going to be there. I'm always going to be thirsty again, but I have a need and it's going to fill it. And um, I don't know what your, your algorithm is like on Netflix, but I've got a housemate. And I went on it yesterday, actually, because 
mum and dad uh, were doing some housework for the house that I'm in and helping me out. And so I put Netflix on and I saw that. <laughs> you can tell who's been watching what. Kate, who I live with, is a very sweet girl and she loves a cheesy Netflix movie. And I'm more, I'm more like, what are Britain's worst prisons? And so something, some, some light TV watching I did a few months ago was about the brain <laughs> and about how the amygdala works. I'm fascinated by it. And we've got the amygdala in our brain and it kind of predicts the future based off our past. And that's kind of this interaction, I feel like, is what's happening with this woman. She's like, well, my past says this well's going to serve me. My past says that when, I, when I'm thirsty and I bring a need, it's going to fulfill it. Are you saying you can do better than my past? Because all my past has taught me is the same thing over and over again. And maybe that's what your past has taught you. I know that was my past just taught me consistent disappointment and rejection. And I, I felt like when I had an interaction with Jesus, I was like, so are you saying you can do better than rejection? How do I trust it? Because my, my brain is saying, based off of past experience, you're only going to be let down again. Is that how you feel? Is trust in Jesus something that you feel is going to let you down? How many of us can relate to that? But I know that, I know that Jesus can fix it because that was my narrative and he started to shift it in, in me as well because Jesus meets us at our need. He quite literally physically met this woman at a place of her need water, even though he was going on to talk about her heart. And I believe Jesus is in the room today and he wants to meet you with your need. And he wants to say, I know the past hasn't served you well, but I can serve you better. I can offer you something better than what you've been used to. And the dialogue shifts again in verse 13. And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But if they drink from the water, water I have, they will never thirst. And the woman's like, give me this water then. And then Jesus, in his kindness starts to unravel her a little bit more. It's like, go get your husband. She's like, I don't have one. He's like, you're actually right. You don't have one. You've got quite a few. And even the guy that's living with is, isn't your guy. He's not a husband. And Jesus could have easily just walked over to her and been like, you've got shame in your life. I'm the answer. Do you want prayer? Ministry time? Leave. But actually, he just sat with her. And he slowly, in his kindness, just started to unravel her. And there's something that I feel we can learn from this, of just sitting with people, meeting them where they're at, and saying, what's going on in your life? because I've got a story of redemption and I want to show it's possible for you. And that's what Jesus did here. I love his kindness and his gentleness with her. He, he didn't call out her shame, but he did say that she was known. And he was kind and patient with her. He's disarming in conversation against everything society was saying. He was like, I don't care. I'm going to cross the line and get to you. And I wonder if there's something we can learn from that as well with people and with ourselves, that Jesus is actually so willing to cross every line just to get to your heart. He's not, he's not offended he can handle it. And maybe there's something as well that we can learn in. There's something that we can cross the line to get to our neighbors, cross the line to get to our friends and our family that need Jesus and just show them kindness. And in this passage, he calls out the guys she's been with. And in his language, he calls them husbands. And I love this because if we go back to the verse before, in the chapter before, we've got John the Baptist and he's saying the Messiah Jesus is coming and he calls him the bridegroom. And so then we go over to this, this scripture, and he's like, you've got all these husbands, but I'm the bridegroom. I'll fulfill your need. You've, been, you've got these grooms, but actually, I'm the bridegroom, and I can fully fulfill all your needs. Is it love you're looking for? Let me love you. Is it intimacy you're looking for? Let me intimately love you. Let me meet that need fully and wholly, because clearly this isn't doing it. Let me ask you today, what's your need? What's the thing that you just so desperately you need refreshing in that Jesus can meet? Because I want to propose to you that actually this woman, she was so thirsty, Jesus was kind of saying to her, 
I can fulfill your needs so much, it will be like taking one big long drink that's so refreshing. Let me love you. Let me refresh you. Friends, what are you looking for? What's the deep desire? Have you dis disqualified yourself from that desire because of where you come in society or your gender or your race or your experience in life? Because Jesus is willing to cross every barrier. Is it your shame that holds you back? He loves you. Is it your gender? He loves you. Is it your finances? He loves you. And out of the overflow of that love, we can go to our friends, neighbors, work colleagues, and cross every line to show them that love as well. We can all feel that need to be satisfied. ASOS knows I can fulfill that need to be satisfied from my online shopping. Am I right, mother? I'm right. <laughs> we can fill that need with so many things. For this woman, it was, it was man. It was a guy. And Jesus is saying, I'm the bridegroom, you're the bride. I'm actually living a life that's so committed to you. And he says that over, to, over you today. He's so committed to you. He's not going to leave you high and dry. And this is, this is what we learned last week, that scripture, this is love, that he loved us first. You don't have to earn it. I didn't know Tom when we went for that meal and he ended up lavishly dripping like love and money and not because he was showing off, but because he so wanted to bless me, my family and Hannah's friends. I didn't know him. I didn't have to earn it. And that's like Jesus. We don't have to earn it with Jesus. He's just like, let me lavish my love on you. Let me show you that you're so worthy of it. He's paid it all. We can learn so much from people's generosity. And like Martin was saying with, with Prince Philip, what, what a legacy to leave of youth who can now do the Duke of Edinburgh and find community there. What legacy do we want to leave? How can we honor people around us and show them that they're so worthy? The woman replied, and she's like, believe me, Sorry, Jesus replied, and he's like, woman, <laughs> woman, if someone spoke to me, I'd be like, you just call me woman. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I find that language so interesting. A time is coming and has now come, which is to say, from here on out, we can worship the Father fully. He's saying to her, you go to the mountain, you go out of duty and obligation, you just do the thing and you tick the boxes. But actually, worshiping God isn't about the right place, but the right heart, and that's what he's saying. So he's saying, from here on out, you don't have to do it by duty anymore. You do it from a place of being so loved, and in return, you can love him. From now on, from receiving my love, worshiping the Father won't be a matter of the right place, but the right heart. And Jesus so cares about the state of your heart. We've all had time to reflect over lockdown. I know how I have, and I've felt God's kindness and just been like, Anna, where's your heart at? What are the things that you've been leaning on? Now we've got the space to actually think about it. And don't be afraid of it. Let, let's face it together. He cares about the journey with you. He cares about your heart. At a place where she thought, this is my need, water, he speaks to her real need, a deeper need. He's like, you're here for water? Let's talk about your heart. Let's restore it. Let me ask you, what are you here for today? What did you come to church for today? Because he wants to restore. He wants to abundantly love you and refresh you. This is who Jesus is. He's abundant. He loves you beyond what you think you deserve. He loves you beyond where you think you're from or whatever you've done. His love is so extravagant. His love is universal, no matter who you are, and he's ready to meet with you. Verse 25, the woman says, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, 
I'm the one speaking to you. I am he. Another translation puts it this way. You don't have to wait any longer. I am that I am. And he's referring, it's a bit of a throwback to when Moses was at the burning bush and Jesus reveal, God reveals himself and he says, I am that I am, which is, it's Hebrew and I'm going to absolutely sham it because I'm from Yorkshire. No offense, mother. And it's, it's Eya Asha Eya, which it isn't because I'm from the north. But it's basically, it means whatever I am, I will be. So it's like he's saying, I'm loving all the time. I'm redemptive all the time. My salvation is for you all the time. I'm steadfast, constant, slow to anger and abounding in love all the time. I'm redemption all the time. And I'm the God who will always turn things to good because that is who I am all the time. And he says, I'll turn your story of hope into a real story. I'll turn from your story to a story of hope and I'll give you real life. And um, my parents are getting a big mention today. This doesn't usually happen. Feel yourself blessed today. My dad's family line are part Armenian, big up the Kardashians. And um, I got to go to Armenia in 2018 on a mission trip when I just got back from California. And I, I'm telling you, God is doing stuff in young people. I went with a load of young people and I came back more burning for Jesus because I'd spent time with these guys that were absolutely amazing. And as mission trips go, you have a great week together, but you're tired. <laughs> And at the end, we said to the kid, the youth, that's so patronizing, they hated it when I called them the kids. Anyway, we said to the kids, um, we're going to have a day where we take you for a bit of respite. And Armenia have the longest zip wire in the world, which I think is a pretty cool thing to claim. They also have the oldest shoe in the world, which I think is a bit of a weird thing to claim. Um, did you know that, Dad? I'd hate to be in the room with that shoe, I'm telling you. Anyway, so we've got this longest zip wire in the world. So we went there, and suddenly it's my go. And I, I love a bit of adventure, but... I branched out, I put my arms out, and I was like, wait a minute, I've seen this before. My dad's shown me YouTube videos of people stopping halfway on this. What if it breaks? What if I'm left hanging? What if I'm like spinning out, as you do, and I turn around, and all the youth are slowly raising their phones ready to film me, and I was like, my shame is going to be put all over the internet on top of that. So I start thinking, maybe there's another way around it. How do I get to the other side? might be a bit more difficult, but maybe I can get there some other way. And then I think, Anna babes, if you meet your maker today, at least you're having fun doing it. So before I know it, I'm zipping between two mountains and the view is like, it's a whole other perspective from the other side. There was just quite a bit of a divide to cross, but the perspective that I got, and maybe you feel like been accepted by God. Maybe you feel like following Jesus or been loved by him. Or maybe you feel like crossing the divide to someone that you don't really know in society feels like this big, scary thing. What if I'm left high and dry? Jesus isn't going to leave you hanging. What if it's not safe? Jesus is your safety net. What if I could go another way around? The view and the perspective is so worth it. The journey is so exciting. And I got this huge round of applause from all the youth when I was halfway there. And it made me think, actually, when we cross the divide, when we reach out to those around us, when we receive the love of Jesus that he has for us, all of heaven is applauding you. You're so not alone. He's with you. His love is worth crossing. All of heaven is with you. And I'd love you to just think about this story for a second. I'd love you to think about what your need is. Because the, the scripture finishes at the end and it's got the woman with the jar and when she'd had the interaction with Jesus, it says that she runs off and tells everyone about him and she dropped a jar. But the jar was the thing that she thought she needed. She was at the well because she was so thirsty. So she's got her need. She interacts with Jesus and she drops it and she goes to tell people about him. I just wonder, what are you carrying today? What's the thing that you've been reliant on? Is it addiction? 
Is it low self-esteem? Is it relationships? What's the thing that you think, this is my need and it just keeps going empty, but my history says that I'll just get it filled again, but it keeps running empty. Because she met Jesus and he filled her internally to overflowing that she dropped what she thought was a need. And I believe there are people carrying stuff this morning. But Jesus wants to meet with you and encounter you and he wants to show you his love that the thing you've been relying on, you can drop and trust that he loves you. And you can run and tell everyone around you the same.